0: All right, so um, we are starting the third chapter of 2 Peter, and so I'm going to read a little bit of that. Uh, I am not going to get through the entire chapter tonight, but uh, we'll get probably down to about verse 7. But I'm going to read the entire chapter anyway. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of god and that by means of these the world then existed the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word heaven see but by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, So let's start digging down in through these things. It's always good not to uh, just focus in on one or two verses to the isolation of uh, the rest of the passage. It's a good idea to read through uh, a letter and then go back and focus in on a chapter and then focus in on those verses. Um, In fact, just now, as I was reading through that again, I noticed that there are a number of things that I'm going to need to address next week uh, in my notes. But Nonetheless, let's take a look at this. Um, These first two verses, I'm going to repeat those again. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So here we have an affirmation of 1 Peter. In this letter, Peter, that is in our letter, 2 Peter, uh, Peter has already stated that he intends to remind his readers of certain things. And his readers include us, all right? So in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, we had this uh, kind of introduction to the letter, if you will. He wrote, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Now, he was talking about qualities that we need to grow in. He said, to your faith, add virtue. To your virtue, add knowledge. Uh, see, to your knowledge, add, I think, self-control is next. To self-control, you add godliness. I think that's the order. And uh, he gives us this this. Stairway, if you will, of spiritual progress, and so that's kind of what the letter is about—not getting sidetracked by false teaching, but to continue to pursue uh, this uh, this growth in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So um, this has been likened to a final testament of Peter uh, to people, and uh, much as I I have compared this to Moses's. Uh, Writing in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a reminder. Uh, deuteros, nomos, two words in Greek that mean uh, a, another law, not another law of a different kind, but another explanation or explication or writing down of the law. So Deuteronomy covers the material that you find in some of which in Exodus, some in Leviticus, some in Numbers, right? Um, not in Genesis, of course, but um, the, the watchword in Deuteronomy is remember. And here we have a far shorter testimonial, uh, Final Testament, if you will. <clears throat> that same watchword is here, remember, remember, remember. Um, so he says it's the second letter, and in both of them he says, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That, what is he reminding them of? That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. As in all of the epistles, this letter is written to those who already believe. We err by presuming that everyone will receive the word of God. I don't know who you have in your life these days, but you can't just randomly quote scripture to people because they don't. Really, necessarily want to receive it Um, or they may just smile at you or they may smirk at you or um, you kind of need to know who you're talking to now I've come people know who I am you know Facebook has a I have a stable group of of friends now I've had to unfriend about six or seven people who have become disrespectful Um, but pretty much now the people that are there are Largely believers or they are former students of mine and they may have drifted at this point in their lives Or there there's some other people that are friends of friends, but I post scripture on a regular basis pretty much I look for a scripture to post on a daily basis because I want to encourage people um, I've also mentioned to you and uh, some of you are probably on the list that I send uh, I send a passage of scripture out uh, every day Um, If you text the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, to 94000, then you'll get that passage every day from me. Um, But I'm saying that because um, the word is for believers. Now, the only way that somebody is going to believe is when they hear the preaching of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, right? And the scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But you have to be sensitive as to whether someone is receptive. We want to offer the gospel to everyone. We really do. But we want to be cautious that I think we can actually end up hardening people's hearts sometimes uh, by quoting scripture. I I had a a relative um, that uh, used to bristle when I would quote scripture when I was younger. Now, granted, I was probably more brash uh, because I was younger and recently saved and that sort of thing. And, you know, I can't... I didn't have a mirror looking at myself to see. But, you know, this particular individual to me represents someone who had been raised in, in the faith, right? But had been raised in a somewhat abusive environment and so had gotten... Uh, an unhealthy, uh, I guess, perspective or uh, approach to religion and faith, um, and so I always said when a, you know, when the Lord put me in a position to to lead a church, and uh, and I got the privilege of starting one, that I would I would try to have a church that reached out to people and met them where they were, right that's how God met me, just as I am. Um, that, That was an important song for me that really represented God reaching out to me. But see, what that means is I've got to look at whether people are at a place in their life where they're receptive. Now, if they're not, there is one universal language, and that's kindness. You can be kind and courteous to people. Now, in this era of Protests and pandemics and politics, people are just upset about everything, right? So it's all too easy to get into these debates with people that turn into disputes and, you know, uh, knock down, drag out, you know, Twitter fights or whatever. Um, and we just can't do that. We just, you know, make your point and then love people. And, you know, we can agree to disagree. Um, some of these issues are important, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to look at somebody, you know, as though um, I'm not going to be their friend anymore just because they don't agree with me on point A, B, or C, or politician, you know, C, D, E, or F, whatever. Um, but when you're, and I hope you will talk to people about your faith, um, but understand that this letter is written to people who believe. He's saying, I want to remind you about the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Is he your Lord and Savior? He is the Lord and Savior. The scripture says, eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But is he your Lord and Savior? If he's your Lord and Savior, then you really need to pay attention to the word And you need to pay attention to those that are teaching the word because that message is from the lord to you and so this is written to those of us who have that kind of faith now in the west we you know it's been some time now certainly but we you know we have a foundation in the western world um on christianity more specifically uh there was this idea in europe and in some of the colonies when the united states was established Um, of Christendom, right, that, you know, well, we're all Christians. And I can remember even when I was younger, when we weren't all Christians, there was still that sort of sense, right? I can remember there was uh, a major uh, network television station that signed off every night, and there are some of you in this room that are old enough to remember when the TV station signed off, right, and they went to that, right, and they had the test pattern or whatever that was that was when it was time to go ahead and turn the tv off and go to bed you couldn't just watch movies all night long um but it signed off with a verse from psalm 33 i'm not going to say which verse because i'm going to get it wrong but it says it, it said blessed is the nation whose god is the lord that was a tv station man that was a major network tv station and that was what they signed off with every night no, nah, oh my goodness, can you imagine the protests today? Ah, you know, we're gonna all, these. so, but there is this notion of Christendom that I think is false, and that is that, well, we're all Christians. No, each person must come to Christ. Even if you're raised in a Christian family, even if you're raised in a nation during a time when this nation uh, professed Christianity uh, by and large, That doesn't absolve you of a personal decision. You have to make that commitment yourself. And I think this is what we're finding today in a culture that at first was, I think, somewhat agnostic and has now become uh, really anti-Christian, an anti-Christ culture, we could almost call it. Um, there There is a tendency for increasing numbers of people to fall away. Uh, we call this apostasy. But here's what I think. What we're dealing with is not fewer genuine Christians. What we're dealing with is a culture that is the Lord is using to weed out the f- cultural Christians. See, you'll know the difference between a cultural Christian and a biblical Christian because when the culture turns away from biblical values, cultural Christians will start to Either reevaluate their faith and turn away from Christ, or they will start to try to reinterpret the Scripture so they can make it legitimize these values that are that are moving away. Okay, um, so we're told two things in these verses, right? Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of Jesus as passed along by the apostles. On the first admonition, that is, remembering the predictions of the holy prophets, um, we've already seen the advent of false teachers. That's what we were talking about in chapter 2. And then the balance of this chapter, chapter 3, focuses on the promise of Christ's return and the coming day of judgment. So do you remember that Christ promised to return? And do you still believe that? And do you live as though Christ's return is imminent? See, I think that's important. And in, in my little four week series on end times, that was the point that I tried to make again and again. We can't look at certain you know, marks, certain predictions that have to be fulfilled before Christ. All oh, the, the temple has to be rebuilt. You know, the beast has to come. One world government has to come, right? The temple may or may not be rebuilt. There will be one world government, okay? But those things don't have to come before Christ returns. It's really difficult to interpret on a timeline in Revelation exactly what's going to happen, right? And then there's this uh, possibility uh, that was believed by many Christians for many years and still is by quite a few of uh, the rapture, a, a taking up and taking off of the earth of the church before the wrath of God is poured out, and I think that that is legitimate, and I still believe that. Um, we have to be ready every day, at any moment in time, for the imminent return of Christ. That's what the ba- balance of this chapter is talking about. Well, Jesus predicted false teachers, and even false messiahs would come, and I, I had a, a whole little sermon on this a few weeks back. Um, in Matthew twenty four twenty four, Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Wow. That means that these signs, these wonders, these miracles, you know the devil's a supernatural being, right? You know the devil has power, right? You know the devil can work miracles, right? So don't look for a miracle as the legitimizing sign of whether someone comes from god or not okay just remember what happened with moses god gave moses a sign throw your staff down and it will become a serpent on the ground remember that mm-hmm. what happened it. the two magicians right and uh, they have a it's not a biblical name but they have a name and it's actually mentioned uh, uh in fact, if I remember correctly, it's even, it might even be mentioned in this chapter. Um, but the, the, the extra-biblical names that were attached to them were Janus and Jambrus. These were the magicians who threw their staffs down, and they became snakes. In fact, if you pay attention, the first several signs that Moses performed were simulated by these magicians. Satan can do miracles too. You can't just look at a miracle and say, well, that's that's God then right? The devil's a supernatural being, and he can do supernatural things. Now, God has to permit that, but you and I need to look to the Word of God first and foremost to legitimize whether somebody is from the Lord or not, okay? Paul predicted false teachers would come. He spoke to the Ephesian elders for the last time in Acts chapter uh, 20, toward the end of the chapter. He'd uh, Paul had had a, a three-year ministry in Ephesus. It was a very, very fruitful ministry, and there was some controversy there as well. And this is what he said to the Ephesian elders when he spoke to them for the last time. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Wow. Wow. We see this happening in the church today. Books are being written by those that claim to be Christians. Okay, um, you know, at the top of my mind is the is the LGBT issue, because uh, Peter has addressed the fact that these false teachers were really teaching, as I said a couple of weeks ago, essentially sensuality. See, we're not going to address one specific kind of sexual sin. The problem is sensuality. The problem is chasing after a a feeling rather than uh, the the leading of the Lord. Okay, and you know, sex has been used to sell products in this country for you know half a century. Okay, so. This is what's leading everybody is sensuality, and these teachers are teaching sensuality. So you've got this fellow, is around the time of the Obergefell decision, the same-sex marriage legitimizing decision from the Supreme Court, that a fellow named Matthew Vines wrote a book that was just wildly popular there for a while, where he basically sought to demonstrate that uh, scripture is okay with gay. And you've seen increasing numbers of churches and you've seen increasing numbers of, of uh, influencers who are going this same direction. Uh, as someone pointed out to me uh, last week, uh, Wilshire Baptist Church here locally uh, is a, uh, a same-sex um, affirming church. Now understand, uh, and I may, be, I may not be getting the terms precisely right, there are churches that are same-sex accommodating Okay, and there are s- churches that are same-sex affirming. We're welcoming to anybody, as I said earlier. If a same-sex couple came into this room tonight and sat down, they would be welcome here. Uh, the Sunday that I, that I preached about uh, family values and family issues and addressed homosexuality, we had a drama. Uh, two of our, uh, our wonderful actors were in it and it showed a young man who was looking for a place that was safe. And his sister was in a church that preached the truth, obviously, from the context of, the, of the, uh, the, the scene. But she showed him love, and she showed him that she was safe to be around. She was not going to be condemning to be around. And she welcomed him, and she invited him to come home and have a meal. But she wasn't telling him that what he was doing was okay. And that's not what I'm going to tell anybody either. Oh, an opposite-sex couple could come in here and... Perhaps even tell me that they're living together and that they're involved intimately. That's not appropriate and it's not acceptable, even though that's the norm now. Um, one of our young people was telling me, or it's kind of either telling me slash uh, asking me on Sunday about couples living together before they're married and what to say to them. Well, the first thing I say is, are these people professing Christians, right? Are they saying that they're following Jesus? Because if they're following Jesus, then that's not what you do. One thing is not more wrong than the other thing. We need to follow a biblical morality. What I'm trying to say is these false teachers are seeking to twist the Bible and make it say what they want it to say. And in so doing, they're changing entire churches. and you wouldn't recognize uh, some of these churches so uh, the opposite extreme is what we want to avoid, and that is being, um, uh, you know, the, the term homophobic is thrown around an awful lot. But uh, I'm more concerned uh, about those who are, are, are contemptuous toward anyone, any group, right? Hateful. Okay, look, I, I don't care who you are. Uh, my sin is not better than your sin but it's still sin and we need to figure that out and we need to love each other and we need to work through things together right so there's no reason to get hostile or angry or um, try to get into big fights when people when people's identity is sewn up in something you can't just tell them that they're wrong because you're not saying that what they're saying is wrong you're not just saying that what they're doing is wrong you're saying, no, you are wrong, as in your existence is wrong. That's the way they're reading it, does that make sense? Because they have so wrapped themselves around that particular lifestyle, right? And this can be anything. This can be you know, any one of the letters in LGBT. This can be addiction, right? I, I can go, I go back to when I was in high school. Now, it's, 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 I'm one of these odd people uh, in our world, who was not raised in a Christian environment, didn't really go to church hardly at all when I was a kid, um, went to high school, wanted to fit in, had lots of, I was in the guitar class, okay. And I still play about like I did when I was a freshman in high school in the guitar class. I could get up here with one of Dean's guitars and play for you, and you'd be able to listen to me for about five minutes and say, okay, 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 thank you. you." Anyway, but I was in the guitar class. That's where all the cool people were. I wanted to be one of the cool people. Well, the cool people also, the guitar class was at the end of the row. This is in Phoenix, Arizona. It's Thunderbird High School. It's at the base of a little hill, right? In fact, um, claim to fame, Alice Cooper, had a house at the top of that hill. Further claim to fame, my guitar teacher played in a band with Alice Cooper before he became famous, right? But the cool people in the guitar class would go out through a hole in the fence. This mountain came down, fences here, and then a little sidewalk, and then here's the the classroom. They're outside, they're all outside out there, right? And they would go through this hole in the fence and smoke marijuana. I never did now i became a believer and then you know i became convinced that that was wrong but i never to this day i have never even held marijuana in my hand and i used to i used to have to bust kids all the time not bust b u s but bust as in uh, get them in trouble for smoking marijuana when i ran a foster care group home and these kids would get a high on a regular basis still have never even held marijuana in my hand right Now, with all that said, I can remember being in classrooms when I was in high school, and people are in love with this. They're in absolute head-over-heels love with this drug. They identify with it. They wear clothing that has a shape of a marijuana leaf on it, you know? And Christians are like, you know, wear a cross and, you know, I don't know. I'm using old terminology. We just used to call them potheads potheads wear hats with a giant marijuana leaf on them. This is why some people liked uh, the old Adidas logo so much because it reminded them of a marijuana leaf. So what I'm trying to say is um, people identify with certain things and you can't convince them that what they're doing is wrong because they see that as themselves. So once again, what do I do? I can't just keep coming down on them telling them "You're you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong isolating them right? No, what I've got to do is I've got to show them love. I've got to show them kindness. That doesn't mean I'm going to go to a party where everybody's smoking marijuana, right? Um, I will embrace and accept uh, same-sex people, you know, in our church, but I'm not going to one of their weddings, okay? I used to do videography, um, and uh, I wouldn't videograph uh, a same-sex wedding because I'm not going to legitimize that. I'm not going to... Rail against it and hate on them and all these other things, but uh, those are those are choices that we make along the way. I'm saying that so that you'll try to understand the perspective that I'm getting across here. Um, we can't be sanctimonious and holier than thou, but we can't be uh, we can't just give in either. Okay, um, we have to hold the line. We have to tell the truth, but we speak the truth in love. Um, there are, there are areas where we can compromise when it concerns being in a relationship with someone, and then there are areas where we can't compromise, right? And we're certainly not going to change the Bible as the result. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to tell people uh, the truth uh, according to what the, the scripture teaches, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, as an example of uh, a group of people who held to the truth, but lost their fire for the Lord, we find this written by the Lord Jesus to the same Ephesian church. Now, this is in Revelation. If you remember Revelation two and three, there are messages to seven different churches from the Lord Jesus. The first church that Jesus addresses is in Ephesus. And this is what he says to them. Remember, Paul said, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Jesus affirms that they fought back. This is uh, the Apostle Paul is uh, it is indicated that he that he stated this. Acts is probably written sometime written down sometime in the fifties um, A.D. The event that is described here is not too far distant from that. This is all probably somewhere in the 50s AD. In the 90s AD, uh, the Apostle John is the only of the 12 apostles left alive. The others have been martyred by now. And he's on the island of Patmos as, uh, in exile as he receives this message from the Lord. And the Lord says this, as and Jesus says this, I know your works, he's speaking to the Ephesian church, We can be so caught up in the fight that we forget why we're fighting. We forget that we're seeking to win people to the Lord, not drive them away from the Lord. It's all too easy to become self-reliant once I learn how to do something, and that includes defending my faith. Cold orthodoxy has ruined many churches. We need to retain the reason we became orthodox. That means right practice, right right belief jesus loved us enough to die and overcome for us that's why we started believing to begin with and we can't lose that just because you see the thing is there, there can be this tendency to just get mean you know because as i said people wrap their identity around certain things well i wrap my identity around being an orthodox believer but see then it just becomes a clash of two wills pride against pride you can be right and be dead right we've got to be loving we've got to be kind and you know i'm preaching to myself here so maybe i'm not preaching to you at all Uh, but i have to be careful about this Um, i rely on jesus a person he's far more than a set of propositions about theology or doctrine so paul also told timothy that apostasy would come Listen to what he, he writes to his protege in 1 Timothy 4, 1-2. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. May I say this? That is what I'm seeing. Consciences are seared. There's no longer a sensitivity to these moral issues. And that goes right along with the, um, the verse that I've quoted a couple of times. Um, I like the New International Version, the, the first edition from 1984, as it translates Ephesians 4.19. It says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. So, as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more, we trade spiritual sensitivity for fleshly sensuality. Again, the problem is sensuality. Um, You know, uh, one of the things that I said a couple of weeks ago in my message about uh, the same sex issue as I was describing God's plan for marriage and family. At the end, I said this. I have heard people say this to me, and this is why I said it. What's wrong with two women loving each other? What is wrong with two men loving each other? See, your problem is you're against love. No, I'm not. Neither is the Bible. There's absolutely no problem with two women loving each other or two men loving each other as long as you understand sex is not love. In fact, I'm repeating myself from that sermon, sex ruins a lot of relationships. Sex will ruin every relationship unless it is between one man and one woman for life. So understand that and you can understand and then further I teach a series on love. I used to teach it every year. I teach it every other year now. I don't plan currently to teach it this year. I I did last year. But I teach a a series on love that is based on C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, and I I really took C.S. Lewis's definition for love and made it my own. Because if you open a dictionary and you look at the definition for love, it's going to talk about uh, people having uh, feelings t- you know, toward one another, this overwhelming, this strong feeling. Love is not a feeling. And if you've ever been in church for any length of time, at least in an Orthodox church, a church that preaches the Bible, you've heard that. Love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. Love is a decision. But further, love is a commitment to act in the best interest of the beloved. The beloved, meaning the person I have chosen to love. It is not in the best interest of someone of the same sex for me to engage in an activity no matter how good I think it would feel if that is my orientation or proclivity or tendency or whatever it is. Okay. We need to stop looking at how this makes me feel, and consider the long-term implications and consequences for that person. Well, this would keep people from getting in and out of these sexual relationships, whether they were same-sex or whether they were uh, opposite-sex relationships. That's not God's plan. It's just that simple. So if I really love someone of the same sex, if I were attracted to them, and I'm not, by the way, just as we go along, That's not my tendency or proclivity or whatever you want to call it. But if I were, it would be wrong to pursue that, not just for my own sake, but for that person's sake. Because love means I want the best for them, and that's not God's plan for anybody. There are people who say, well, God made me this way. No, it's a fallen world. And as far as I'm concerned, the jury's still out as to... Uh, the biological basis for same-sex attraction—I I lean against it. Although I think that there could be some tendencies that are there. Perhaps I think that it's a far more complex issue uh, than just saying, "Well, God made me this way," or "I'm biologically, you know, this." Um, or you—you you wouldn't see this increase that we see in our culture. Why are we seeing an increase in this? Is it just more people coming out? I, I don't think so. All right. I think that there's a, there's a, there's a profound um, twisting of the mind that begins when children are really pretty much too young to understand. And there is a, an oversexualization of everything. Sex is the answer to everything. And so what people do is they sexualize needs that they have, genuine needs, right? They may have a genuine need for companionship, right? For intimate companionship, with the same sex, but it's not sex. Intimacy is not, shouldn't be uh, synonymous with sex. There can be that that need, but then that need is sexualized. So when people, listen man, When I, I remember being, you know, a little boy running around with other little boys, and, you know, we were like, girls, ew. Okay, it was only when you got older, right, that girls were like, ew. <laughs> From ew to oh <laughs> but not everybody makes that transition, right? There's this 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 need, and so as they bridge this gap, right, and they come into that that time in puberty when things start changing in their body and this in their mind, then they may begin to associate a genuine need with the sexualization of that need, and then experimentation. And uh, the the statement that I made in the message a couple of weeks ago. Um, Precocious exposure to sexual issues is a sure predictor of sexual dysfunction and or sexual promiscuity later on. It's, you know, I, I am astounded, I'm aghast, I'm, I'm sickened, and I don't mean this like, oh, you're disgusting, I mean I am overwhelmingly... Disturbed by the fact that sexual issues are being introduced to elementary school children. And I mean, ridiculous levels of this, right? Normalization of activity that I'm not even going to mention in this room. And we're talking to 10 year olds about this. All right. I told the parents uh, two Sundays ago, you know, the Lord has given you those children and you're going to know when the time is ripe to have these discussions with them. And not every kid is ready for that discussion at the same age. And what I told everybody that Sunday was, I mean, I was curious when I was nine and my mom was getting ready for work. She's like putting her makeup on. I, there's no dad in the house. And so I don't, can't remember what, how I asked the question but I can remember sitting on the counter while my mom put her makeup on with my jaw dropped about this far down going, what? And thinking, that's gross. (laughs) When your body's not there yet, you don't understand why that would even be remotely appealing. Why would that be, you know? But we're introducing activities to children, normalizing these activities in their thinking so that when they get older and they go through certain things, they're not resisting anything anymore. Right? Um, So I'm getting a little deeper into this than uh, perhaps I intended to initially, but I think that this is in line with these sensuality laden drenched teachers that uh, that peter is likely dealing with here and we need to remember what the lord has taught as well and that's why the sunday that i i spoke this message um the centerpiece was from matthew chapter 19 jesus very clearly said have you not read have you not heard that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female so so that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What God has joined together, let man not separate. That addresses LGBT on a positive side. This is God's design. This is his purpose. And so purportedly, Jesus never said anything about these issues. He affirmed the scripture in that statement. That's not the only place that he said it, right? So nonetheless, understand these things. Um, There are those who will depart from the faith, and we're seeing it happen all over the place. In 2 Timothy, um, Paul also said that there would be difficult times that would come and people would depart from the faith. He said, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, see if this doesn't sound like today. See if this doesn't sound like somebody is reading you a news report of the morality of the United States today. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. That means you can't make peace with them. Slanderous. That means that they put everybody down without self-control. That's at the root of sensuality, by the way, is unbridled sensual uh, lust. Brutal. Look at the movies people love, right? Uh, The What's that, Keanu Reeves movies, Uh, John Wick. That's just brutality. That's just an excuse to see how many people can be butchered on the screen at once. It's brutality. That's not entertainment. That's bloodlust, right? Um, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households, now we see false teachers, and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. So it's bad enough that unbelievers are godless and worldly, but religious people, some of them supposedly Christian and others formerly Christian, seek to give their immorality legitimacy with false teaching concerning the Bible, Jesus, religion, etc. Yeah, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. Paul's admonition to Timothy is his admonition for us, avoid such people and have nothing to do with their teaching. So when you encounter authors, speakers, celebrities, politicians, and corporate leaders who follow our sensual, sexually deviant culture, or who promote evolution, Marxism, materialism, or who teach and support hating a particular group of people because of their beliefs, their nationality, occupation and turn those folks off, tune them out, and don't support or promote or purchase their products. So what commandment of our Lord and Savior are we told to remember? Here, that was the other thing he said to do is remember the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Well, what did Jesus say? In Matthew 24 42, that same uh, eschatological discourse, his same discussion on the end times, Jesus says, this is kind of the central command of that discussion. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. We need to bank on the fact that Jesus is coming back. We need to remain alert and awake. We need to observe the signs of the times. And folks, things are getting crazy out there. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. Huh, scoffers, mockers, scornful people. This seems to be uh, the go-to for a lot of folks today. I'll see a particular post and I'll see that that emoji that's supposed to be, you're supposed to be laughing, you know, the, the Facebook emoji that's like <laughs> but they're laughing at something serious, you know, or they're laughing. So it's obvious that they're just scoffing. That's all they're doing scorning scoffing mocking right Um, says these folks will come in the last days scoffing following their own sinful desires they will say where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation right i was hearing something Uh, it's just a statement that someone made the other day well people don't really believe that jesus is coming back anymore I don't know what people you're talking about. You know, evidently you go to a different church than I do. Like, so that's not me. But we have a clear statement of the uh, of these false teachers' position. They base an appeal to some form of sensuality, likely uh, from a Gnostic perspective. Remember, the Gnostics believed that the physical body was, um, if not outright evil, it was certainly uh, deficient and. And uh, uh, not to be considered uh, as something that God made. They didn't believe God was the creator of material, right? There were Neoplatonists. Plato had this this notion of the 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 world of forms, this perfect mental world, if you will, this perfect uh, world of ideas. And so the material world is just like a shadow of that. Well, these folks basically, you know came up with a religion that pursued that line of thinking. And so there were two directions that they took. There were, the, there were Gnostics that harshly treated the body. All right? They even whipped themselves and so forth, kind of like some of the monks did in the Middle Ages. But there were also Gnostics who just said, you know what, if the body wants to eat, let it eat. body wants to have sex, let it have sex. Just let your body do whatever your body want to do. And that's probably the brand of Gnostics that we're dealing with here, right? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's going to die anyway. Your body, your flesh is just decaying. It's deteriorating. Don't worry about that. There's a world of forms, the perfect ideal world. And there's special knowledge that will get you into this. Okay. In any event, it that was their basis for promoting sensuality. Okay. Um, and so... They reinvented Jesus. So this is the so-called Gnostic Gospels. Um, that uh, There was a, a cache of, I think, like 40-some-odd books that were found in uh, a region of Egypt called Nag Hammadi, and they were, they were Gnostic books. They all carried pseudepigraphal names. That, meant, that means they used the names of famous apostles and other historical... Biblical figures to authenticate, authorize their false writings. So you know you've probably heard of the Gospel of Thomas. This is one of the most famous Gnostic books. Um, there's a Gospel of Peter. There's a, there's a Gospel of Judas, right? If you read these books, they're bizarre. Absolutely nothing like Scripture whatsoever. This strange esoteric. Type of thinking that I'm not going to get into in depth here. But the point is that they use Jesus' good name to validate their religious ideas, their philosophy. It's exactly what we see happening today. Oh, Jesus never taught anything about that. Jesus would be okay with that. I think Jesus would be, you know, this. You know, Jesus would be an ultra right wing, blah, blah, blah. No, no, Jesus would be a leftist. And I read part of that. Uh, letter the morning that I uh, addressed this issue in church that it was an email that I got from a guy that was like, how could a, you know, a Christian who believed in Jesus ever vote, you know, for uh, the the right? Jesus was a leftist. He was da-da-da. And I was like, okay, that's a different spin on that. It's usually the other way around, the, the way I hear that, you know. So nonetheless, um even if influencers that you would hear would say essentially what these, these false teachers were saying, everything is just going on the way it's always gone on, okay? If, if you hear someone say, well, everything is just going on the way it always has, it's important for us to observe the signs of the times. Matthew 16, 1 through 3, Jesus addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It says, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So as I stated in the sermon that I quoted that passage as well, um, the prospect of one world government is clearly a sign of the end. This putative pandemic is not a sign of the end. Okay? Uh, The Black Plague wiped out between a third and half of Europe. It was awful. Bodies were being hauled out of homes every single day. Is that what we see? No, that is not what we see. If the worst case scenarios prove to be true, then there may be several million people in a population, a world population, of closing on 8 billion people. Now that's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not world ending, friends. No. Bad things happen and they always will happen. That doesn't mean that the end is coming. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars, there will be earthquakes, there will be plagues. He said don't worry about that. That's not the end. That's just the beginning of the birth pangs. Okay. Revelation 13, we see that the prospect of one world government, that is a sign of the end. And there has never been a time in history when there has been one world government. There's never been a time in history when the things written of in Revelation were possible, and they are possible now. Right now. Listen to this passage from Revelation chapter 13. This is verses 4 through 10 from the English Standard Version. And they worshipped the dragon. That's satan for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying who is like the beast and who can fight against it and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months three and a half years it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against god blaspheming his name and his dwelling that is those who dwell in heaven And also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language. One world government. Every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for endurance and the faith of the saints. So these false teachers are using doubt and despair related to Christ's returns, even God's existence, to further their agenda of sensuality materialism and hostility toward biblical morality. We are seeing an antichrist culture turn people's attention away from the Bible, from church. Isn't it interesting? Cities and states that are run by leftists are the strictest when it concerns whether or not they will allow churches to meet. Governor Newsom has essentially canceled church in California until January. How can one man have that kind of power? I'm sorry. Governor Abbott all along has said, no, church is essential. All right? I don't know if you like him or if you don't like him, but President Trump said, church is essential. There's a whole lot of things I don't like about him. But that's something that I really, really am very thankful for because you wouldn't be sitting here. If you're in California with Governor Newsom, you wouldn't be sitting here. But we have a different governor who's willing to uphold religious liberty. There's plenty of things that I don't like uh, in both parties, but I want the freedom to worship. I want the freedom to speak out. And I will tell you the things that I've told you tonight, the comments that I've made, the teaching that I have delivered to you regarding the LGBT community would be Considered outrageous, perhaps outlawed. I could get in trouble for those comments. I could foresee that happening, right? But I'm going to keep on preaching the truth, even if I got to preach it from a jail cell, all right? I appreciate you guys very much. God bless you guys online.